Oh, I'm sorry. Did I break your concentration? Somewhere between science and superstition. Such sights to show you. Strange Eons. Welcome to Strange Eons Radio. That's Eric over there. Hello. That's Vanessa over there. Good morning. Hey, you guys. Uh, well, this is the weekend after Thanksgiving. I don't know if anybody got to do anything. I sat home alone and did nothing. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, no. Well... How many ever 16 plus years of retail work that I did and living, my parents living in another state, Thanksgiving for me became very much a holiday I didn't do much in. Yeah. That changed a lot when I married Dina, but uh, now this year it was just, it was, it was actually kind of adorable. Yeah. Dina's parents made Christmas dinner. Her brother went over there, picked up Christmas dinner package for his dinner. or Thanksgiving package for his family, Thanksgiving package for the two of us, Aww. and then delivered them all. <laughs> it was Aww. it was very sweet. Did you do a little Zoom call then with everybody yeah. eating? That's how well, gross. a short one. I know no, how no. much you hate seeing people chew. Yeah, no, we just we did a hello. <laughs> I, I think it was probably a four minute Zoom call, oh, okay. but uh, just kind of saying hey everybody and uh, but so that was cool. That, so sounds, that sounds really delightful. I, much like you, you know, having spent 10 years in the UK, <laughs> Thanksgiving was not a thing. Every once in a while, somebody would try to humor me. I once tried to bake a turkey in a very broken oven and I called him Frank and it did not go well. Um, yeah. So like, yeah, Thanksgiving doesn't quite hold the same, but because I've got, you know, older parent and everything yeah. like that, I've been trying really hard to, it kind of falls on my shoulder to make the entire dinner. So I've been getting to make turkeys as the vegetarian of the family oh boy. the last three years. I think I'm good at it. I don't know. I've never had it. I don't know how to, I know how to make the gravy with the fat drippings, you know, all of that. I have no idea. Um, so this year it was just my sister and my mom, but we did do the, the extended family Zoom call with like 20 odd people. Oh, wow. And they had it go on for two hours. Oh, no. I finally just left. I left my mom and my sister to stare at my computer and I went out for a run and I was like, I can't deal with these people anymore. Yeah, that's too so, long. Yeah. I know that there was talk, Vanessa, last episode of everybody <laughs> stopping by grandma's house to uh, that, drop off food and all that. That did kind of happen in that... Um, Three of my relatives, all from the same side, participated in it. And actually, during the Zoom call, we could see this mirroring of phones where one person would be running, like driving and dropping off at the other person's house. And the other person's phone would show those people. It was very interesting. Oh, man. It was I'm very a, surreal. Like, nauseating to watch, though. It was strange. Hi, it was how strange. you doing? Bounce, bounce, bounce. Oh, you're walking again, I see. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it was it was actually kind of like, I don't know, it was a little bit reality TV-esque. It felt like, oh, what's going to happen next? Where are you going now? Like, <laughs> I actually have an adventure to follow and not just listen to, I mean, my uncle's bee stories are very fascinating, but uh, he, he keeps some bees or he had 12, to eradicate. 12 stories in gets a little old. <laughs> yeah, it just, there's too many of us when there's that many people and like yeah. we each ended up across two minutes, maybe talking or again across two hours, maybe talking for two minutes each. It just feels like yeah. rough. So, yeah. 
Well, one of the things I wanted to bring up is how thankful I am for the uh, friends and family we have made with this yeah. podcast. Yeah, and so in specific, true. I would like to talk a little bit about Danny Williford today. <laughs> oh. Vanessa, Danny sent you uh, several months back a uh, Star Trek blueprints. He sure thing, did. And, uh, and he helped me get this amazing Michael Golden edition of uh, Micronaut stuff that was oh. like my favorite comic when I was a kid. And my favorite artist, and they released this big, huge thing that was a little out of my range. And he knew somebody. I, I assume he has mob contacts or something. <laughs> Maybe it fell out of the back of a truck. I don't know. But he got it to me at a much reduced price, which I very, very much appreciate, Danny. Yeah. And uh, Eric, he sent yeah. you a little, little something. A, uh, oh my gosh! Purple rain, like purple vinyl. 45 single. Yes. For those of you out there that are under 40, <laughs> this is a small sized album about the size of your hand, probably a little bit smaller. And, uh, thank you, man. That's really cool. Although I'm not sure what hold on to the moments is, which is included in, in one of those like insert inside of a magazine. Right. So if that's a Prince thing I haven't heard of, whoa, holy shit. If not, do you, would you like that back, Danny? <laughs> Thank you, man. That's really, really cool. Yeah, he's he's great. All the people who listen and, and chime in and do all the fun stuff are just, just really, really appreciated. Ridiculously yeah. thoughtful, you know, like yeah. just, con I mean, I, I get sent, you know, like nice little fun pizza stuff from some people <laughs> and like, you know, people are just really really thoughtful and, and kind in their, their interactions with us. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Enough of that bullshit. Um, <laughs> one of the things I did. The charm offensive is over. <laughs> one of the things I did on Thanksgiving was watch a movie that disturbed me greatly. And it was called The Dark and the Wicked. Hey, me too. Yeah. What is this? Is this like a new film? It's a rental. Yeah. And uh, it's relentless. Yeah. I, there's not a lot of story going on. And in fact, if you require an explanation for your horror, you will probably be disappointed. Yeah. But I was so unnerved by this. I was watching it at night with the lights off that uh, I had to turn the lights on in the house. <laughs> and then I texted <laughs> Eric and a couple other people and said... Holy shit, you guys, I am so fucking creeped out because of this movie I am watching. <laughs> oh, my God. It was uh, it was terrifying to me. Wow. OK. Eric? Like, just was it gross or was oh, it no. just no, creepy? It's all uh, supernatural. There's some, there's there's some, some gore in it. Yeah, it's it's about a um, a brother and sister who have been kind of uh, separated from their folks for a long time. And they they find out that the dad is dying. He's on his deathbed, basically. And they decide they're going to come back and. um sit with him, you know, say goodbye one last time. Mm -hmm. And, uh, the shit just hits the fan. Uh, there is something haunting the family. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And there's no real explanation given, but really, really bad things start to happen. <laughs> and, it, and it was made by the guy who made the strangers. The oh, home invasion, sure. the home invasion yeah. film, which yeah. I couldn't even finish because that's one of my actual fears. Damn. Oh, so, that's why you don't like home invasion. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. That's a messed up movie too. Yeah. <clears throat> the, my overall impression of it was, yeah, it's really nice and creepy. It does one thing. It drives me nuts. And if by any chance we actually have younger filmmakers listening to this, let me impart a little old man wisdom bullshit on you. Uh, it's a really, really, really depressing film. It really is. And it's a family depressing film. 
The one problem is I always get the feeling that some of the people that write these haven't had a parent die or haven't had somebody really close to them die yeah. because there's a weird dark humor that happens between family members after an event like that. And the film has no humor at all yeah. at any point. Even just one weird smart ass line would fit. Um, so that's that always bugs me in films where it's like, we've got to be. No, you want it because that actually increases the drama. You give that moment of levity and then drop it back down again. That drop back down gets it darker. But when all you're doing is just beating people over the head with depression, eventually it kind of goes, I'm, I'm checking out of this. I'm emotionally disconnecting from this film because you're never giving me a break. Mm. And I had a little bit of that with it. But the horror elements of the film are fantastic. The performances are all top notch, which is part of what makes it depressing. So like, Jesus, come on, man. But uh, well worth well worth the rental. It's only like a five dollar rental, I think. Or yeah, yeah. Where, where I, is this available on? Oh, it's a uh, VOD or, uh, on on demand. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I understood that part. Apple and Amazon. Oh, yeah, I got, got it. Got it on Amazon. Yeah. Uh, I thought it was very, very scary. But then it's, I, I don't even want to say it's polarizing. There are plenty of people who are complaining on the reviews that uh, no explanation. Right. But that seems to be the main complaint yeah. because it's got like an 80% from the critics and the audience wow. on Rotten Tomatoes. So yeah. uh, at least it's tapping into something scary. And I have said to Eric many times, I've got this theory that uh, I think with horror films, the scary is more important than the story. Sure. Interesting. So, I hadn't heard you say that before, but um, I feel like if you can you just throw a lot of scary things yeah. at a person that they will kind of forget that not a lot is going on until after the movie is done. Yeah, I think you're really right, because there are so many films that I love that are horror films that have no real logic to them. Oh, and yeah. I'm, I just don't care. And so. that's why uh, short horror works so well, too. Right. Yeah. You know? So it's uh, I, I agree. I think you get them both and you get a classic like the changeling. You get you get just the right. drama and you get like, OK, well, I'm not going to watch. But if you get just the scary, you become Blumhouse. Right. You know? Right. You don't. <laughs> Nobody watches some of their early films and goes, wow, the story on this was really compelling. <laughs> 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 no, you're, it's so funny because I never thought about that that way. And as like a film studies nerd, I'm kind of annoyed at myself about it. But you're absolutely right because story <laughs> is usually the thing that I care the most about when watching a movie. Sure. But definitely, I wonder if that's why critics in like the 70s and 80s like hated on horror so much. It's because of a lack of beginning, middle, and end. Wait, that's why we... I think all of us, but definitely gravitate towards the thing or Hellraiser or some of those yeah. that do have that really good story yeah. that goes with the scares as opposed to just the roller coaster ride of a yeah. slasher film. Sure. Right. Right. Hmm. Anybody else see anything cool? <laughs> well, I <laughs> or not cool. <laughs> well, you know, um, I for some reason, and I can't even explain why, watched season four of The Crown. <laughs> So, Does this mean you also watched season one, two, and three? I had already seen them, yes. Okay. So I enjoy the historical, like the weird stuff that I didn't know was going on. Like I find that really fascinating because they definitely did their um, their homework for these. Yeah. Now, like the actual <laughs> characters and the actual emotional responses are all made up. 
You know what? I'm lying. (laughs) You know what? I should invest in that. I can't quite make this hat do it, but I'm, yeah, slightly going blind. I I have a a cap. (gasps) Do you really? Yeah. That might be worth it. Unworn. Keep talking. Okay. Awesome. Um, Tell us about the crown. Yeah. um, (laughs) This season, just like all the other seasons, was incredible. They introduced um, the the relationship of Diana, uh, which has been long in coming. And um, they did a great job of, God, they use sound and music so well. And all it does is help you understand the viewpoints of everybody. So keep it swatchy. (laughs) (laughs) And it matches. It goes with your hair. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. For those of you who don't know, my hair is now greenish, bluish something. Yeah, yeah. I'll wipe those dust bunnies off that thing. Yeah, there you go. No, I'm just trying to tighten it a little bit because I have a smaller head. <laughs> um, yeah. One of the one of the criticisms I've heard of the crown. I'm curious if if this is something you feel nice, yeah. perfect. Feels good. Um, is the I think it was described as you know I don't need every episode to contain five minutes of somebody driving up to a large mansion or just weird establishing shots that go on for ever and ever is that i have not noticed that at all um usually they i feel like they use those moments where um because the royalty is so often either in the spotlight or in each other's presences being judged i feel like often when they're in the car and then you get those big landscapes it's usually somebody doing an introspective moment Mm. so and if anyone has watched um downton abbey this is so much easier to digest than Downton Abbey. <laughs> Downton Abbey, if you're going to talk about big, long landscape shots for no freaking reason, like that whole thing is a love letter to the royalty. Because the guy who made Downton Abbey, I don't know if he's related to the people with the crown or not, um, but he has a huge love of old England. And ah. th- there's a fox hunting scene. That's What is the oh time God. period for this show? This one is um, starting from when um, Queen Elizabeth II, the current queen, um, first gets inaugurated wow. all the way through. I don't know how far they're going to go. I think they're going until um, her. I don't know. It's like I think they're probably going to go until 2000 or 2002. Wow. I thought this was a much earlier oh, time. No, period. there's a different one called Victoria that handles that queen. Wow. But no, this one, it's interesting because it goes through sections of lives. So the first two seasons has one set of actors in it. And then the next two has a completely different set. And actually, maybe this is, uh, but yeah, we've seen a, a few different, and now they're going to switch next season. will be completely different actors again, sure. playing kind of, inhabiting what those characters were, what those people were like in those moments of their life. So even when the visual switch is really big, um, it still works. It's crazily well done. Sort of like that uh, Bob Dylan movie that had like yes. four different people playing them. Completely. Very okay. similar feeling. Hmm. Yeah. And if you like Olivia Coleman, she's been playing the queen for the last two seasons and she's fucking phenomenal. <laughs> so um, yeah, I just, you know, it's, it's a, I, I can't even say it's a guilty pleasure because it's not the kind of thing I would normally love, but because of the way they do, um, 
every character you really feel like is justified in the stupid things they're doing. So <laughs> Diana, you're like, oh my God, like you're being really judged and everything sucks for you. But then you see the queen's perspective and you're like, yeah, Diana is kind of a whiny little bitch. <laughs> and then you go to Prince um, Charles and you feel sympathy for him, but then you hate him and then you feel sympathy. So every character gets this moment and they pivot so smoothly between each one that I, I don't know. I just think it's really interesting mixed with like a big old history lesson of like things that didn't happen that long ago. Like yeah. the, um, this year they had, uh, in the season they had Margaret Thatcher hmm. was a big part of it, who is played by, um, chick from X-Files, uh, Gillian. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> She's Gillian Anderson. Yeah. yeah. She, um, she plays Th Thatcher and does a, amazing job so that's some makeup there man it, it's <laughs> weird she actually you know all they did is kind of give her blonde-ish poofy hair and she just looks i don't know it just feels right it's weird it's really weird went from playing bowie in oh yeah that's right what was the the gods series on stars yeah, american the, gods yes. oh, yeah. she played bowie and now she's playing margaret thatcher yeah Interesting. Yeah, and she also did um, Sex Education. I don't know if you guys have watched that on Netflix, but it's a, I mean, I really enjoy like teen shows. I don't know why, but it's really good. <laughs> it's like set in Wales, I think. Um, somewhere <laughs> beautiful in the EU. And uh, she's in it and she's doing an accent, but fuck, that, that show is really fun. So oh, Nice. Well, okay, for something completely, completely different. Yes. <laughs> I watched a very... Bordering on sick film uh -oh. <laughs> called Patrick Still Lives. Oh no! Uh, yeah. okay. Oh my god! I I watched it not realizing it's actually a sequel to I think Patrick Lives, which is an Australian film. Uh, just Patrick. Patrick. Okay. And the idea. Uh, have you seen the original? I've seen the okay. original, but not the sequel. So the idea of this, if I think it's the same basic thing, is some guy goes into a coma and then starts to control people around him. Is that what Patrick is? As yeah, well? he's he's a I want to say a teenage kid in a coma. He's got um, mental powers and starts kind oh. of fucking with all the people in the hospital. Oh. And so that's what this one is as well. Except he seems to have uh, telekinesis, where so he moves yeah. shit. And um, the storyline is his father brings together all the people he feel he felt put him into the coma, and then Patrick like offs them and relatively violent ways and a scene so violent I'm uncomfortable describing but then I watched but here I go <laughs> but, but then I watched the trailer and it's in the freaking trailer oh. what? Okay, I don't even know if I can look at Vanessa while I describe this <laughs> I'll look away from you here I'll hide Stare. under multiple hats Stare oh, deep into my eyes <laughs> while you describe I'll it I'll be subtle about it here. he's there's um, this was made in the 70s late 70s mm -hmm. The entire film is like three guys, three girls or something like that are being killed. All the women spend a fair amount of the time doing nothing and wearing nothing. Mm -hmm. As women do. <laughs> Especially Italian women in the 70s, apparently. He's going after one of the ladies. And let's see, how should we describe this? She's in the kitchen, backing, standing on or laying on a table, backing against a wall. There's the large pit sticks they use to turn full-size pigs like over a fire oh yeah mm -hmm. in the kitchen mm -hmm. and let's just say 
it goes where it really shouldn't but naturally can go on a lady. Okay. I'm just going to leave it at that. <laughs> Does it do a cannibal holocaust? Yes. Okay. I mean, like, I feel like so many people want to do the most ridiculous shit like that, that it almost doesn't, it almost doesn't bother me because it's so stupid. Generally, it doesn't for me either. But the way this is shot, it oh, is no. so graphic. Oh, fuck. I'm like, oh, they're not going to do, oh, fuck, they did that shot. Oh, man, what, what am for, I watching? <laughs> what for? What, what are we getting out of that? Like, when horror freaks you out and does bad things, you know, it's usually to enhance something else. What are you getting out of something like that, you know? Well, it's it's an Aussie film. They were... Well, the um, original was Aussie. This one is actually is Italian. Oh, it's Italian? It's Italian oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay. I was going to say uh, it felt like the Australians felt like they had something to prove there in the, the 80s. That sure. is true. The uh, That what, Ausploitation yeah. is... Yeah. Damn! But more fun generally than... Because yeah, it's still Australian. <laughs> it's hard not to, for a movie to be fun when there's actual Australians involved. As soon as they start talking, you're like, I like this guy. Well, their whole is. attitude and way of dealing with life is so good. Anything they say, you're like, yeah, let's go do that. Barbie, yeah, let's go jump off a cliff. Sounds good. I love that when the uh, pandemic happened, they shut down. They managed to get it down to like almost zero cases in the way they were... Um, keeping people quarantined for a certain amount of time, then it suddenly had an explosion. And it's because a couple of the security guards at the hotel that they were pe keeping people quarantined decided to have sex with some of the people in the hotel. Oh my and then, God. They, then they brought it back home and everything. Oh and the rest of the country was like, nah, what are you going to do? <laughs> <laughs> you got, the opportunity is there. I would have done the same. I know. I love their attitude. Oh yeah. my God. Yeah, this one was directed by a guy named Mario Londi who had, like, he. 50 directing credits, including mm. Super Sexy Market. Mm. So I kind of think where one of my may, favorites may be coming from. But well, this film is. Would you recommend it to someone? Have you seen the original? No. It's. I thought it was pretty good. It is gory, if I remember correctly. And I thought it was pretty creepy. And I didn't even know there was a sequel. And now I'm curious. Would you recommend it? For. Maybe not. <laughs> um, but you know, you're not much of an Italian horror fan to start. Does it feel like an Italian? Oh movie? yeah. Oh okay. Oh yeah. Maybe, maybe. Yeah. I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say definitely not because enough stuff is done well enough that it's worth checking out, and it borders on you know really hilariously bad at times, <laughs> which I do like. Yeah. <clears throat> but, how did, uh, How do you watch it? I got it as part of a. I don't know if it was. I think it was Severin Box. You know where you get these five films, and it's like. $70 less than if you bought them individually. I'm going, well, I'm probably going to buy at least three of these. Okay. So I'll take right. the pack and get this. They've got your number. Eric's oh, yeah. the guy who looks at this and goes, well, I'm losing money if I don't buy these. <laughs> this is the kind of film that Somebody I would is. lose in a friend's freezer sometime. Yes. <laughs> this is the kind of, yeah, this doesn't sound like a film that I would want hanging around my house. But probably, yeah, probably not. What, what, do you, what do your friends say when they open up their freezer and they see an old DVD you've left in there? <laughs> You know what? It's either going to be a bottle of vodka that I've stored there for upwards of three years for when I come around, or it's going to be a DVD I never wanted to see again. I've never had a complaint. Usually somebody's just like, oh, I found this weird Free thing. Movie. Yeah. And I'm like, yep, either keep it or gift it. It's not staying in my house. 
the DVD fairy has struck again. It's like, I don't know what I did to deserve this, but I got a copy of Patrick Still Lives in the freezer. <laughs> so odd. You know, I like I like those surprising moments for people when they just don't know why the hell their life is doing what it's doing, yeah. and that's just magical yeah. for me. Yeah, Severin does that to me a lot, though, because like they had one this Sunday that is uh, there's two or three films like Theater Bazaar that they're releasing, and they're releasing it with, two, and they've got a documentary coming out that has two anthology horror films from like the 60s or something that have never been released in any form. I'm going, God damn it. <laughs> My favorite and the reason I love that you still collect physical media is uh, not irregularly either. And yeah, he'll show up and he'll go, do you have this DVD or Blu-ray? No. And he goes, well, now you do. I'm like, oh, wow. Why? Well, I ordered it. And then when I went to file it away, I see I already had it. Yes. <laughs> yes. Okay. Nope. I just had the same thing happen to me. So um, one of you may or may not want be getting, does anybody need a copy of Candyman? Instead of I, I have the, I oh, have that, I'll take so. Candyman. Okay, great. The Screen Factory all, one? Yes. That's all good, yours. I actually you. ordered it again. For I just was like, I need Candyman. It's on sale. Great. I'll throw it in the bed. That's what I did with Matinee. Yes. Showed up for sale for like, oh, it's only 18 bucks or 10. I mean, it's really cheap. <laughs> Oh, yeah. shit. <laughs> and I just like, I mean, I actually have a spreadsheet to prevent myself from doing just such a thing, but somehow slipped through the cracks. Yep. Yep. Yeah. You, need, you need better help. It's true. Or you just can enjoy the free crap we both give you. That's true. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> uh, I also watched a movie on Hulu that I thought was pretty interesting called Sputnik. Have you guys seen? I have seen the trailer and it looks Freaking cool! It is freaking cool. Ooh. It is Russian horror, and uh, the idea is that uh, when they sent Sputnik up in what was that, sixty-seven, sixty-eight, yeah, like um, it came back with something else. Hmm. Oh. And I didn't go to look and see how true to the background story this was because I, I'm wondering if they were saying that oh, our astronauts have arrived home safely and all of this stuff because one of them is dead on arrival and the other one has brought something back with him. Oh. And it's uh, it's really well done. It's a little gory in a few places and really strongly acted by a bunch of Russian actors I don't know. Yeah. And the effects are fairly decent. I think if Ooh. you like... Uh, this felt like maybe if the X-Files had tackled an alien movie, yeah. like the, the franchise Alien, that you might have ended up with something like this. And nice. I watched it, and afterwards I was like, yeah, that was damn good. Hulu, is it? It's on Hulu. Cool. That looks, that's awesome. Is it? I, I kind of got the sense by watching the trailer that they were a little bit more of a lower budget film because it looked like maybe it only took place in a couple locations. Yeah, it's mostly in a... Uh, in a experimental lab yeah. facility. I mean, I think that's when you get to see actors really shine though. Um, it does look kind of low budget, but it's also taking place in late sixties, Russia. And so oh, everything sure. looks super drab. Wow. So cool. Oh yeah. my God. It's so cool. I want to watch that right now. Why are we doing this podcast? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's it, everybody. <laughs> Short one this week. <laughs> Whirl up the old Hulu machine. <laughs> I got a movie to watch. Um, did so you have another one though, I, that you watch, did watch? I did. Yeah. Well, um, have I talked to you guys about having seen uh, New Mutants? 
No, no. but I want to I'm so behind. I, I haven't, but go okay. ahead. I'm, I'm not worried about okay. spoiler anything. But. There's, yeah, I don't even know if I, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it was interesting. Okay, here's the thing. <laughs> was it fine? Um, Okay, it was exactly what Kelly said. Okay. It's a mix of some really tremendously great moments and a lot of just BS. <laughs> There's just, they have like, the the chick from The Witch is one of the main characters in it. And like she's a great actress. I mean, she's what, yeah. and also in Gambit right now. Oh, Queen's Gambit. Queen's, Queen's Gambit. Gambit. She's phenomenal. Yeah. She's so wasted in this fucking film. Isn't the, uh, oh, I forgot her name, the younger daughter from Game of Thrones? Does she yes. play a character in she's, there? She's yeah. actually good. They actually do, I think, a decent job with her character. Oh, and she's great in Game of Thrones. So Yeah, <laughs> no, and it's great, too, because it kind of gives her a character that you would expect after Game of Thrones. There's uh -huh. um, a little bit of a, a kind of lesbian relationship going on. Okay. And so I was like, you know what? This is great. Like, just like with Kirsten Stewart, like, there's a, there's a vibe that comes off of some actors, and it's like, just lean into it. Mm. Why not? Sure. If anyone's going to tell this story, you should, and you're she does a fucking phenomenal job of giving a, uh, I mean, I don't know. I like that they made it normative. I think that it was great that they didn't get beaten up because they were gay. Well, it doesn't hurt that she's very likable. Oh my as God. A, yeah. As so a person likeable. and yeah. in this character, she's super likable. You definitely sympathize with her. Completely. Yeah. But, um, no, I'd agree with you. Like, um, there's just, there's some really great effects moments. There's some really dumb story shit happening, <laughs> including like the whole premise is sort of fucking dumb. Like not the idea of a like haunted, weird, strange, God knows what's going on in this place hospital that these people are kept in. Mm -hmm. But the actual structure of this thing is dumb. <laughs> it's really dumb. And I think every time they bring out something big, it ends up being really stupid. So, um, yeah, it, I don't know. Like I, at the end of the day, I love X-Men and I really, I, I've, it's been a big thing through my childhood. I was really into, um, Fox kids, X-Men, which I know is nice. dumb because a lot of people actually watch the comics and that was where they fell in love. That's where I went. And then all these like new mutant style movies, I've just hated. I just hate them. There will be a scene here or there I like. But so this film to me was better than all of those, mm. but not as good as any other X-Men content. I see that. I Well, I thought it was way better than the apocalypse. That's what I mean. Oh, OK. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Better than the apocalypse. Every, everything starting from what is it like first class or whatever. Oh, I on? liked First Class a lot. Yeah, no, I like that one because too. I could watch uh, Magneto uh, go hunting Nazis with his mutant powers all day, yeah. and Charles Xavier hit on chicks at bars because he could read their minds. I was like, "Yeah, it's the '60s, baby." I could watch. It wasn't until you know the last half of the movie where they got together and put the team together that I was like, "No, the X Men, boo." I think. I think that's what I felt too, but I would also can never forgive them for their casting of beast. I just really hated it. It's Jamie Bell who plays him. Oh, there's I, just something. I, I, I just remember disliked just like, it. Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, beast is my homeboy. Oh. So yeah, I was, I, and he has almost no time. Maybe that's why I don't like these movies. What, one of my of problems it. for the X-Men movies is when I was younger, Colossus was always one I really liked and he has just been completely shit on. Yes, by the movies. Completely. <laughs> All right. 
Yeah, that's, that's exactly how I feel. I do like it when um, I, I have to say I loved the, the part of Deadpool where they were kind of making fun mm-hmm. of what they had originally messed up with with Deadpool yeah. by making him like mute when like his whole thing is being able to be like a wacky, crazy guy. Yeah. So, you know, I feel like there's still room for improvement through films where they aren't financially concerned on the same level. I, I would love to see, and now would be a great time to do it, a uh, God Love, Man Kills yeah. adaptation of that story. Did you ever read that graphic novel? I don't novel? Think so. It's one of the better X-Men encapsulated stories. It's a graphic novel, so it's just its own story. It needs to be a five-part Netflix yeah. movie or something. Yeah, really good. Really get into... A, about a senator trying to pass a law to make outlaw mutants. I see this plot point sounds very familiar. They've probably done an animated version. Yeah, they probably that, touched on it in the end. Because <laughs> it was a huge, huge hit when it came out. Well, wow. and that's that's a go-to thing in the X-Men. Yep. Anyway, is to always have the the politics of the mutants and all that. So true. true. Yeah. Well, um, I'm. Yeah. I'm bummed, but I'm also glad to see that you kind of felt the same way I did. I did see a lot of people saying, hey, you know, if you're if you're hating on this movie, then you're not taking it serious or you're taking it too seriously or something. And I'm like, well, that's I don't take any movie too seriously. But I I do like solid filmmaking. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the problem is it's loose in the wrong spots. It's so tight in weird places like the um, visual effects or phenomenal <laughs> and you're like man this power is being shown so beautifully but then like why did you direct that character so fucking poorly <laughs> like and why why is this plot point dumb as hell like it's just there's a lot of weird ugh, yeah i don't know i i feel like you can tell who sucked at the, their jobs on that film yes <laughs> so i've got a weird one this isn't a movie i watched but an article i read that i thought this is an interesting example of the way you perspective of looking at things. Mm-hmm. The title of the uh, the clickbait title <laughs> was the classic millennials don't really care about classic movies. So I'm like, oh, OK, let's see what this is. <laughs> You're immediately furious. No, no, no. Because I'm, I'm curious. Going, OK, what do they mean by classics? What are they talking about? Mm-hmm. And uh, so I'm like, oh, yeah, let's read this. And so a couple of the points here, less than half, and I'm going to say less than half of millennials have watched any of these movies. That's a fuckload of them compared to the people I knew when I was in the 20s and 30s, like Gone with the Wind, Sound of Music, To Kill a Mockingbird. Like, well, these movies were 20, 30 years old when I was young. They're 60, 40, 50, 60 years old. If 40% of them have watched it, that's fucking amazing. And I have the exact <laughs> opposite of that line. Yeah. He's got, in the review, 28% had seen Casablanca. Holy shit, 28%? 28 out of 100 kids have seen that movie? That's I guarantee really you good. those are all amazing. film students and they were forced to watch it. <laughs> well, even as a film student, I didn't watch Casablanca until I was probably in my 30s. Oh, okay. And, you know, but... Uh, However, you see them, 20% is a gigantic percentage. Mm-hmm. If you really think about sure. real percentage, not the people who go, I'm 90% sure bullshit. <laughs> Nobody's 90% sure about anything. But, um, or 38% have seen Psycho and all stuff going. So I'm reading going, it's an interesting way to look at stuff when you take your numbers and you crunch them around. Because my response is, that's amazing. That's fantastic that that many people are willing to watch a movie that's what, 80 years old. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if I think about the films 
that they're equivalent to me of being that I yeah it just feels like I haven't watched a lot of movies from like the 30s and 40s or mm -hmm. 50s you know like it, I don't know what's what's the criteria. Right. What's, what's the I mean, right now, '80s movies are classics to the kids. Sure. Like they, those are oh, yeah. what to me would have been, you know, it, checking out. Oh, yeah, like something I don't know. Gone with Wind. I don't know. But anyway, like I think I watched Gone with Wind first time in my 40s. Right. You know, <laughs> and still, it's like those. Uh, I first half is pretty good second half man go to hell yeah yeah i remember watching it with my mom when i was 16 we were in the one of those movie oh, clubs where we had to get like we got like 20 free movies oh, and then right. i spent the rest of my life trying to like pay off my debt to them mm. and gone with the wind was one of them and i was like why do people like this freaking film this is awful this is awful the whole way through so, yeah that's definitely not for yeah I, I think some you know it's just like a lot of people complain about um, millennials ruining the economy by not buying cars or diamond rings <laughs> this is what I find hilarious why 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 do we care whether or not they spend money well, or time on the things that you cared about right, exactly they may not be buying diamond rings and cars but they are buying massive computers right. and huge streaming services that are now worth fortunes so it's yeah. just a shift in the money yes and whatever the stalwart was for the 50s and 60s, it's a different world now. Yeah. Stop trying to live in that time economically. And be angry and, that it's not the exact same right. thing. that. And, and like now we're just, I feel like a lot of the younger generation is a little more aware. It's like, well, cars are pollutants and like they're very expensive and they, you know, whatever, whatever. And diamond rings are often blood diamonds <laughs> and like, and artificially inflated in price. We're just a little smarter because of the internet because yeah. we have the information at our hands you get both sides of that from the internet a little smarter and a little dumber 100 percent, 100 percent. QAnon would not exist <laughs> also i mean everybody nowadays the the young kids these days they experience <laughs> their content a lot differently yes. than even we did and yeah. especially different than the people who are watching gone with the wind in the theaters experience yeah. Oh, yeah. content. So when you've just got an unending supply of content and stuff that you know that you like, yeah. some of these movies feel like homework. You and know? they are. Yeah. I mean, that's why I watched a lot of these movies is either I wanted to sound smart or I needed to for some <laughs> dumb class. Like I wanted to be the cool kid who saw every Woody Allen movie Ugh. and dang it, I, I did at the time. Ugh. Yeah, no, I'm, why? <laughs> I'm, I get to be nice and, oh, really? Because I've never liked him. Right. <laughs> never liked him. I, I hated him on screen. Yeah. His writing was good. He wrote some really good movies that he's not in. Yeah. But he bugged the shit out of me. It's <laughs> just like, hey, you know, Bob Dylan wrote a lot of great songs, but I don't like listening to him sing them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's okay to not like Woody nothing Allen. to do with him being a raging asshole. I didn't like him in the 80s, so... Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, there's lots of reasons to not like Woody Allen. I didn't like him but... first. <laughs> there it is. Yeah, and it was 100%. And I think a lot of people liked him because it was cool to like him. Like, sure. I dated a guy I wanted to impress who loved Woody Allen. So I watched a lot of Woody Allen and said I really liked freaking bananas. And you know what? In retrospect, I don't think I like bananas that much. I don't think it's that good. What's the one? Oh, what's up, Tiger Lily? Some hot takes. Yeah, you know I love it. <laughs> that was, that's Lily. a good one. That I, I like. And everything you always want to know about sex. Yeah, I think I liked crimes and misdemeanors. I liked the Alan. That's Alan Alda, right? 
Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, I think I like that one. All right. How about we take a break? Everybody just calm down. <laughs> and we'll be back. We're talking uh, Radio Gaga, Radio Gugu. trailer, swing open doors, movable figures, and 18 wheels. Plus, the Bear Masher has a bear trap, spring-loaded catapult, and battering ram. Not this time, Bear Masher. CB McCall, Bear Masher, and CB Patrol Car. Comes with booklet that teaches you CB radio talk. Over and out, good buddy. And we are back, and if you noticed... Probably the last several episodes. Uh, we are back without any commercial advertisements, yeah. except for the uh, lovely old style ones that Eric drops in every <laughs> week. That's because we switched to a new yeah. provider, right? Yep. Yeah, we've got a new uh, podcast. What's it called? Support. I don't know. But um, the providing us a little bit more uh, flexibility in what we can do, and me a little more flexibility and help when weird shit goes wrong, like. Luckily, I checked it because uh, when I went to put up the last podcast last week, the one that went on Thanksgiving, I didn't put the intro music in. No. So I started playing going, why, why is this so quiet? What's going on? Skip forward. It's all here. There. Okay. Here's all the, oh. <laughs> <laughs> but if I had done that with the previous one, it would have been a real pain in the ass. But doing with this one, it's very easy to replace and. Oh, make everything awesome. good. I'm really excited. I'm a little sad that we won't hear about like mattresses and whatever <laughs> else, plumber suppliers and stuff that, you know. Now, if mattress suppliers or plumber suppliers would like to broadcast and advertise <laughs> on our show. And we get that, any profit those, from it. Those ads weren't for us or from us. They were from the podcasting service we were using at that time. Right. Which, you know, was a great. I'm going to demand that anybody who wants to advertise with us lets us do live reads yes. and make it part of the show. That's So be like, see, guys, I was watching a movie last night on my brand new mattress. <laughs> <laughs> that would actually be pretty freaking cool. Anyway, Eric, yes. uh, this was oh, yeah. your fine, topic choice, and it was um, you wanted to do something like with broadcast Yeah, radio personalities. personalities and or a movie that depends heavily on radio signals in some way. Cool. And I chose poorly. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. It was such a tight time frame with Thanksgiving and all the stuff that was going on yeah. that I was like, okay, shit, it's Saturday night. We record on Sundays. I better watch this movie. It was, I didn't write the year down, whatever, 2000 and something, The Night Listener. Each night, he tells his stories to the world. From the studios in New York City. Gabriel Noon, and this is Noon at Night. Take this with you. We're publishing it next quarter. Then he read a story he couldn't forget. I've read your book. I really liked it. Just can't believe it's you, man. You kid, whoever he is. 
or something isn't it isn't it brand new i'll find out but uh hey it was on cbs all access (laughs) since i have that for my obsessive star trek yeah uh, oh great i'll just watch it there but it is available to rent in other formats and stuff so it's not hard to find why don't you tell us about it and i'll find out what year it is okay that sounds good uh, it has a Rotten Tomatoes rating, which I think is probably accurate, of 40% from critics and 35 from the audience. Okay. It, it did, however, have a $4 million budget and a $10 million worldwide box office, so it did all right, because it did not have an advertising budget that was that large. Wow. It's from 2006, so it's okay. not the one I'm thinking of. Okay. The, and, it, I mean, it had a open in 1,300 screens in the U.S. when it first came out, so it had a pretty wide release. Uh, it's directed by Patrick uh, Stetner, whose only real credit I could find otherwise was The Business of Strangers. He also was a co-writer on it, but his, all of his stuff he's written is stuff he's directed. Uh, the, this was based on a novel by Armistead Malpun, who wrote the novel and four miniseries called Tales of the City, which I'm not familiar with, but... Mm. Uh, and some guy named Terry Anderson, that if you pick, click on his link on IMDb, has nothing. Like, why is this even a link? <laughs> it goes nowhere. But why this movie should have been good. <laughs> Let's see. The lead lady in it is Tony Collette. Oh. Yeah. Oh. My, my crush. <laughs> Knives Out, Hearts Beat Loudly, Hereditary. Have you seen Heart Beat Loudly? If you no. like her, you need to see it. Oh, okay. It's such a feel-good film, and she is so good in it. And Robin Williams. Whoa. <laughs> As the Whoa. main radio guy. Was this one of his last? Uh, no, 2009. Okay. So, but it was one of his things. later ones. Yeah. <laughs> Joe Morton, who's in uh, Speed and a uh, TV show called God Friended Me. Oh, and also, uh, oh, what was that one? Scandal. Scandal? Scandalous oh, sure. uh, TV show. Yeah. And Sandra O oh, from Grey's oh. Anatomy and Killing Eve. And finally, Rory Culkin, Signs and Lords of Chaos, which he's actually pretty damn good in. Yeah, so, I like him. Yeah, so I'm looking at this cast going, tasty. <laughs> this, <laughs> this is, is going to be yes. so good. And the basic write-up, as I described on IMDb, in the midst of his crumbling relationship, a radio show host begins speaking to his biggest fan, a young boy, 
via telephone only. But when questions about the boy's identity come up, the host's life is thrown into chaos. <laughs> a, a very great exaggeration in that last line, might I say. Hey, Erica, take two. I really like that delivery, but could you make it a little bit bigger? <laughs> I could. <laughs> but um, this is based on a true story. It's part of what makes it different. There's two versions. One's an hour and 21 minutes. One's an hour and 31 minutes. I watch the one that's an hour and 21 minutes, and I don't care what those missing 10 minutes were. Uh, the Robin Williams is a, a gay radio broadcaster, which comes into effect because the kid in the original book, the kid is dying of AIDS. I believe he's also dying of AIDS in the in the movie, but I don't remember. <laughs> but um, he, Robin Williams is a broadcaster who tells sort of a um, story time and he's got, of course, big fans and uh, gets contacted by this kid's um, mother, wanted to talk to him and stuff. In the movie, his ex, here's uh, Colette and Culkin's voices over the phone. What's supposed to be Colts and Culkin's voices. He goes, those both really sound like the mom. Uh, have you ever met this kid? Does anybody, do you know anybody that's met this kid? And William's character's like, nope, never met him. And so he decides he's going to, he gets into the next day. I don't, this is the movie, so I don't, I'm sure it didn't happen this way in real life. But next day he gets invited to spend Christmas with this family. Hmm. And so he takes that up. But in the last moment, she cancels. The mom cancels the Christmas thing. And uh, so Robin Williams decides, well, I'm just going to go up, show up. Now, the, one of the big differences between the real story and the movie was him and his partner were like the Hardy Boys. They worked together trying to figure out what was going on. In the movie, they're estranged. They're not mean, but they're not really together. So I'm like, well, that's a weird Boy. story change because I forgot the name of the actor that plays his ex, but he's great. He should have been in the movie more. The scenes of the two of them together are some of the most compelling scenes in the film <laughs> until him and Colette are in the same movie. So he goes to that city and finds, he's like in a uh, restaurant and through one of those uh, opaque glass things you see between benches, sometimes he hears her talking and uh, follows her. And again, all seems like this should lead to a compelling thing. Because this is an interesting story. This is an interesting concept. It's not an unusual story that somebody would lie to somebody famous to get attention from them. I mean, it's it's an actual, like, syndrome. Sure. Yeah, isn't that catfishing? Isn't that what that well, that's what they, is? That's what it's been turned into in <laughs> yes. modern times. But I mean, it's actually a psychological wanting to be near a famous person mm -hmm. or feeling more elevating yourself. Because she not only lied to him, he lied to the whole town. When she lied to the whole town, when he gets to that dining, the exact same picture that he has of the kid is above the restaurants uh, on the restaurant's wall. Mm. And when he tries to con he tries to kind of ask the waitress, well, what about this? I see this kid here. He's got this picture. Do you know about it? And when he tries to imply or tries to figure out, has anybody ever seen the kid? The waitress actually gets really pissed at him because... The mother has mentally invested her in caring about the kid. Oh. So she's been manipulating the whole town to think that this kid is just in the hospital. Oh. And it's obviously when they meet that she's got a little Annie Wilkins in her. Mm. And uh, 
starts to get a little creepy. But uh, so he gets too close and, hey, Star Trek makes an appearance as an insult about geeks. <laughs> oh, hooray. How very modern. That's right. <laughs> and uh, he basically figures out that she's full of shit. Uh, and it is about that exciting when it's revealed. <laughs> it's sort of like, here's your menu, sir. Oh, I see you serve food. Yes. And that's all. Wow. It was so vanilla and so boring. And it, it started to get to this point where this feels like they're wrapping the movie up, but this can't be the ending. So little has happened. There's got to be some moment of drama. <laughs> and so, you know, I did the thing where you see how much movie's left. There's like five minutes left. Oh, like, no. Oh, my God. <laughs> Dina Somebody, watched it somebody better die quick. <laughs> <laughs> no shit. But I was watching this with Dina and she's like, really? This is it? This is all the movie's going to be. And so it ends with her. Oh, yeah. Spoiler. Like we were talking about earlier. This one, like some of the warnings that Vanessa has given us over the years, I don't care about spoiling because it's not really even a damn ending. He goes back to work. She is revealed that she wasn't actually blind and she's there someplace renting an apartment explaining to the real estate agent that uh, her son is in the hospital and she needs a place close to where he lives so she can visit him easily. And that's the end of the movie. Like, wow, well, all right. <laughs> uh, the film, though, premiered at Sundance and at the Berlin International Film Festival. Why? It's got some star power. Yeah, Robin Williams and Tony. I think that's it. If, if, if that had been Joe Blow and Jane Blow, nobody would have been to see this film. Yeah. But you put the cast is so good, which is kind of why I think the director hasn't done a lot of movies since. Yeah. <laughs> like, dude, you must have Robin Williams and Tony. Come on. Yes, my final note on the film was, well, shit, that was disappointing. <laughs> um, based on a true story, it was the story was used in a 2002 episode of Law and Order, Criminal Intent, you know, because every story is used by every sure. crime story. Uh, but it borrowed far more from the book. The movie is real. The movie's fairly faithful to the original story until he gets on the plane to go visit her, which is interesting because that first part of the film when it should be the setup and be sort of boring, and then he gets on the plane and it gets really interesting. That first half was pretty good. It was well done. It was well moved. The mystery was built well. Then he gets on the plane and he starts to unravel the mystery, and it gets really boring. Like, how did you do this? <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. The book tour, um, he had a number of famous people come to him and say when he was touring with the book, the writer was touring with the book, that they had had that happen to them as well. Wow. Robin Williams and Rory Culkin both have the same birthday. Ooh, that's trivia a fun, fun fact. Ooh. Wow, boy, we're really digging deep <laughs> on the trivia barrel here. Uh, Mike Sal LaSalle of the San Francisco Chronicle described it as a movie with lots of heart but no heartbeat. It feels infected by a malaise, yet the film is intelligent and integrity and can't be dismissed. That's actually a pretty good description. Because mm. I, I felt invested in watching it. But the ending was so disappointing that it really just colored the rest of the movie. I just wonder if actually it's not that the film can't be missed, but that story itself yeah. can't be missed. Yep. But, uh, yeah, that's... Uh, <laughs> so <laughs> I should have gone with Pontypool or Texas Chainsaw 2 or some shit. Yeah. <laughs> Peter Travers gave it, gave it a uh, A- minus and said stunning, can't be missed. <laughs> like he says about every fucking movie. There you go. So, uh, so Vanessa, what yes. did you see? Absolutely. Well, you know what? Um, 
Kelly, you really inspired me. Oh. You talked about a movie that sounded just so phenomenal that I really, I kind of begged you guys to let me use it, even though we sort of touched on it lately, but, you know, we'll get a few more fun facts going. And that is the 2020 film, Love and Monsters. Don't move. Let me see it. Don't move, Amy. Let me see it. Okay. Ready? Mm-hmm. I love it. That's super sweet because it's terrible. It wasn't rental. I had to purchase it to watch it on Amazon. That was my oh, only was, choice. It's got what? the between version of it, it now? Was, yeah, it was $20 and I couldn't, it was $20 for any version I bought, whether it was 4K UHD or SD. <laughs> and I only had the option to purchase. Oh, weird. That's weird. Yeah. Because so the I'm, rental was the same price. Wasn't the rental like 20 Uh, I think it was fourteen ninety five. dollars oh, is what it was, but oh, still... Weird. Yeah, I don't know what shifted, but that's the only... That's, it, you know what? It's fine. I sure uh, hope that this is going to be a positive review after you know dropping what? 20 bucks on it. That's exactly how I felt. I was like, I, this movie better not suck. <laughs> I, have to leave it in, I have to leave my TV in the freezer for this one. <laughs> the whole thing. <laughs> shove right. it in. I know their freezer is a little too full with the leftovers right now. So, um, so this, uh, this film was uh, made in the U.S. Um, 109 minutes long, budget of 30 million, box office of 1.1, which makes a lot of sense because, um, it was supposed to be released in like March, Ah. 
before COVID. And then they had to push for various reasons to April, which meant it couldn't really be released. (laughs) And then when it was released, it had a really good opening weekend, but that's compared to the zero films that are out and how many people can actually go. So I think it's probably made a lot more money. I don't know if we just don't know how to calculate that yet or if people aren't sharing those numbers when it's a VOD. You know, if if you're smart and you look at what's being released in theaters during the pandemic, you can win your weekend pretty easily. Number one at the box office. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I Just don't put the year next to it. That's right. But you're right, because I've done a lot of research over the years looking for like to put together business plans and things for raising capital for film. But streaming and uh, digital releasing is very secretive. Yeah, it's very weird. And I know that like Netflix is obviously famous for this because they won't release which films have made money or what, you know, like I don't know what their system is. They have some algorithm and they use it. And that's why sometimes yeah. great shows disappear because no, not enough people are going to sign up for the service for season four or whatever it is. So, you know, this we're entering a very strange new world, but at least this strange new world allowed me to see this movie. Yeah. I'm pretty pretty excited about that. So as far as uh, Rotten Tomatoes go, actually very good. 91% critics and 88% audience. Wow. I love it. Yeah. Super highly rated. Now what surprised me is the talent behind it. So the director is a guy named Michael Matthews, and this is his second ever feature. Wow. He did two shorts before that, at least on IMDb. Or, yeah, that's that's all we've got listed. The film before this one was called Five Fingers for Marseille, which is a contemporary Western set in South Africa. And it got like five Academy Awards in Africa. Wow. But I've never even heard of it. Right. Yeah. I don't know how this film is what got him this directorial debut for this project. Um, I will also say his IMDb picture is just about the most pompous director picture ever. (laughs) It's so bad. He's like in a freaking raincoat and it's dark and like he looks like, oh, yes, I'm in a film noir. (laughs) I'm freaking cool. Oh, boy. Yeah. He's he's got lights behind him. At least least he's not posing. At least that looks like a candid shot that you just think look. Cool. I, I think so. he's posing. No. Okay. He's got a nice. It's got a nice light line on that the coat and on the hat. I guess maybe looks, the yeah. guy walking behind him might be a clue that it's candid. But yeah, it's really it's but, pompous as shit. The writer, um, you know, you you start to see a little bit more of maybe where this came out of. Brian Duffield. He's only done t- done ten things, but that includes the Divergent series, which was kind of um, his first big thing. And then he also did Jane Got a Gun, which I'm not a fan of, but I know a lot of people <laughs> liked. He did Babysitter. He did Underwater, Babysitter, um, Killer Queen, and Spontaneous, which I heard is very good. And um, soon to be coming out, Vivian hasn't been herself lately, which I don't know anything about. But um, so he doesn't have a ton of credits, but the credits he has. Is, pretty strong yeah no kidding and then the other writer on it um matthew robinson um i don't know what he contributed he did like (laughs) monster truck and dora and the lost city of gold also the 2020 golden globe awards (laughs) i don't know what that involves but 
writing really cheesy jokes yeah, for so. actors to say. When they, yeah, not, say not worrying about internet. not getting a reaction this time because nobody could actually sit in the audience. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, I think where this really comes out of is um, the producer, Sean Levy. Now, this producer had done a lot of directing projects before, like Stranger Things, Real Steel, Night at the Museum, huh. and um, is also going to be directing Starman. As far, as far as producing, he produced those films as well, but he also did Arrival. So I think it's a, a very talented person who's collected other very talented people and really knows nice. what he's doing. And I think this was a passion project gonna for him. I'm going to rewind you quickly. Mm -hmm. Is there a remake of John Carpenter's Starman being it's done? It's coming out. Yes, okay. I know. I am not <laughs> at we, all happy about this. Do we know this is a remake and not just a film with the it's same It's a title? remake. I looked oh, up the um, plots and offices. Yeah. Boy, if there's any Carpenter film that doesn't need to be I remade, yeah. Starman is just about perfect. It, it, it's so Great good. Film. It's one of my favorite films. And yeah, I'm really, they better not fuck it up. That's what I'll say. I'd say just don't uh -oh. watch it. <laughs> you know, that's, that's what I did with Wicker Man. I just didn't watch it. That was probably the right solution. <laughs> yes. um, the stars in it, super good talent. Um, you've got Dylan O'Brien playing Joel. You guys would remember him as Thomas from Maze Runner, like all the Maze Runner films. Sure. That's definitely where he came out of. <laughs> Well, I remember him as Styles from the Teen Wolf TV series. <laughs> That's what he's also known yes. from. That's kind of what he ended up doing afterwards. And did you know he was the voice of Bumblebee in the Bumblebee movie? I did not, but I did love that movie. It, I loved it, too. I don't know what that talent actually involves because Bumblebee doesn't say a whole hell of a lot. Oh, good point. But He talks to radio well, yeah. songs. Come on, Groot. Exactly. Some talent presented by uh, Vin, Vin Diesel. Diesel and just making weird little noises. It's true. Just saying Groot. It's true. Ooh. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm I'm loving this kit. Like in the Maze Runner, my favorite thing about the Maze Runner was the the amount of effort he put into running. He's really good at just running on screen. I've never been like, so impressed by somebody just running. Do we have a new Tom Cruise? Is that what you're saying? He just, he like <laughs> falls over and he slides and slips and everything about it seems like he's putting his whole self in it. So I was very impressed with him. Jessica Henwick plays the love interest, um, Amy. Uh, she's in the new Blood of Zeus thing. She's actually got a long history of being in a lot of Avengers Style stuff. So she's in Iron Fist as Colleen Wing. Mm -hmm. She also was in Underwater. She was that chick that cried a lot. Yeah. And um, <laughs> I freaking hated her. In that. IMDb credit chick that cried a lot. Cried a lot. Just freaking stop. And then um, <laughs> I like that movie a lot, but that bugged me. And then Game of Thrones played Namara Maria Sand. So she's been bopping around for a little while. Uh, she started off, fun fact, in St. Trinian's 2. Which is very special to my heart because the first film I ever worked on was St. Trinian's One. Oh, nice. So, yeah, <laughs> both pieces of garbage, but nonetheless, <laughs> oh, I feel close to her. <laughs> you also have Michael Rourke, which I know um, Kelly had pointed out before when he'd seen it. Uh, he's been in 125 things. He kind of plays this older man character. Uh, all I can say. <laughs> Mary, Mary, I'm Mary Poppins, motherfucker, right? Isn't that what he says? That's right. <laughs> That's all you need to know. Don't worry about the rest. Actually, I was really surprised to find out he was Henry and Henry Portrait of Serial Killer. Yeah. I did not realize. So that was a, a big surprise for me. Um, Dan Ewing, who plays um, the like guy with a yacht in this movie. He's a, basically the hot Australian man. He was in 595 episodes of Home and Away. 
which I love. I was like, this guy looks really familiar. And when I lived in England and was a student, Home and Away would play every day. And me and my roommates would like sit and watch it. And it's just a dumb Australian soap opera. But damn, it was good. It was a good, fun soap opera. Um, and last, last but not least, Ariana Green uh, Blot, who plays a little girl named Minnow. And she was um, in the Avengers film as young Gamora. She hasn't done a lot else. She was just in Scoob as the voice of young Velma. But shes I think she's got a good career yeah. ahead of her. She was really she's good. Really good yeah. yeah, she was really fun. So you guys have both seen this, right? Yes. Okay, fantastic. So the story is, it's great because we kind of start off with this VO, which is always terrifying. You're like, where are we going with this? It's like, <laughs> let me catch you up on what happened in the world. It's like, oh my God, I hope this is going to be not terrible because we've introduced a mechanic, but actually really fun, really fun mechanic. The voiceover is a really neat, um, has some really neat uses in it. Um, introduces us to the space that we're, we're going to be living in for a hundred and something odd minutes. Um, the world has ended. Basically, um, there was an asteroid headed towards Earth, and so they threw a lot of nukes at us, I believe. And then the fallout rained back down onto Earth and mutated a lot of the Earth creatures, mostly the bugs and amphibians, to be supersized, giant killers, much more dangerous, monstrous creatures. It's what you get when you work against science and go off movies and TV as your relevant way of dealing with Oh, an asteroid coming through the Earth? Ah! I saw, I know how to get this. Yes. Somebody call Aerosmith. We need music. Yes. It's very on the nose. It's very telling. It knows what it's working with. There's a lot of like nods to other like classic B movies from the fifties of, you know, remember when these giant ants were the scary creature. <laughs> um, he has, it's interesting because they throw us right into the plot. There's no, like, I thought this film was going to be a big part of him trying to find his girlfriend who um, he had lost seven years ago on the day of the big thing that happened. But no, he's actually, we start, he's already found her. He's been talking to her on the radio for a week. He's basically gone through hundreds of radio channels, just calling <laughs> out, trying to find it. There's a bunch of little underground bunkers where different people are kind of surviving together in these little packs. And uh, he's found her and he's, you know, we're just kind of introduced to this life of loneliness and sadness that he's in. He's not... <laughs> He's basically become the default chef for his little yeah. people. He's not any good at it. He's never allowed to go outside because he sucks at fighting. He has like a freezing problem. So no matter what happens, he just stands there and just looks at it really scared, which is pretty beautiful. Um, and so all of his sort of um, bunker mates are just like, no, no, stay here. <laughs> really? No, stay here. What One thing that's nice I thought about that is it's not... They're not belittling him no. necessarily, yeah. but they know they know the truth where he should right. where his strengths are. Yeah, exactly. No. It's, nothing so it's not like is, a bullying thing where you might normally see in this movie. Yeah. Absolutely, and in fact, the reason why he's um, feeling bad is it's really nice. He's like it's a lot like being in a college dorm, which actually, if you think about it, this kind of situation would be. And everyone in his like colony is hooked up with each other so just everyone's banging all the time and he's just alone to hang out with this cow and this like robot that doesn't work so he's just like 
like, I'm just, I need something in my life and I have nothing. So on one particular um, breach that occurs and everyone's, you know, like, no, no, it's fine, but there's this breach, but it's scary and we lost somebody, but you know, don't worry about it. He's like, you know what? No, I'm, you know what? I'm going to go. I'm good. I'm, I'm ready to have an adventure. Like they didn't let him fight. And so he snuck out and it just didn't go well. He, he you know, he's set up for disaster. I love that they introduced his character in such a useful way of saying, this is who we're dealing with and we're going to send him out into the world. And these are the stakes. It's about the journey. That's, this is the film that is. Oh, the so it's just another one of those dumb movies of people just walking. <laughs> <laughs> it is, but it's so good. I mean, the, so, you know, he's going basically trying to get something, what, like 80 miles or something to where this radio yeah. uh, other colony is, this other radio point that he's trying to get to the love of his life. And he's passionate, desperate to get there. will do anything he can to get to his girlfriend he hasn't seen in seven years. Don't worry. I'm sure everything's fine. They haven't <laughs> seen each other since this day. But anyway, have you guys seen, um, you know, In the Loop? Uh, the horrible Amazon series that's based off the really good art. Yes. Where it's this kind of these beautiful landscapes at the end of the world or some strange near future with odd robot things or creatures or whatever. That's what it reminds me of a lot. There's a lot of visuals where they go to these wide shots and it's like um, at one point he's walking over a bridge and there's like a school bus in the water below and it's on top of an enormous dead ant. <laughs> and he'll be like walking along a cliffside and they pull out and there's like these strange like insect pods on the side of the cliff. It's just the details are so cool that even if there was no story in it, it would be a lot of fun to watch. Yeah. But as it is, it's freaking it's a great story. You know, you're following this guy. Um, he meets a couple of other really neat characters, an older man and a young girl who he travels with for a little bit. They teach him a lot about the world he didn't know. And you watch him grow and, and learn how to deal with things in a way that he has previously been completely incompatible with. And he has this um, habit slash hobby of drawing. In the beginning, he sucks. And then it's like seven years later and all of a sudden his art is so good. <laughs> he had seven years to do nothing but just draw. And so he's making this sort of monster manual as he's going through the world where every time he um, encounters a creature, he's Trademark, like, Gary Gygax. it's so good. It's so good. And it's like, uh, he doesn't quite know what they are. And then he'll like cross it out once he figures out what the monster actually does. It's just a really just good touches. Uh, he, he does make it, I will say. And then the plot has a few more moments in it that, um, you get this sort of weird yacht captain who's taken over this other colony and you're kind of like, what is going on? There feels like a sinister presence and all the things that he has learned along the way come into play in the, the final act of this yeah. film. And it's just so neatly buttoned up. Um, the things I liked about this film. He, one of his companions along the way is a dog. Yeah. Oh, it's very Fallout, like the game Fallout. But it's so good. The dog is so good. The dog has its own little character ticks, too. He does. And everything. So yeah. you're, you're, you fall in love with the dog pretty yes. dang quick. Oh, my gosh. Absolutely. Like, the dog has such a personality. The dog has his own home. The dog has his own, own things he cares about. Has his own character flaws and character pluses. Basically, um, the main character lacks any kind of natural instinct. And the dog fills that in. Yeah. And it's such, they have to exist kind of together to make it work. And it's just so cool. Um, 
the, the <laughs> there's other like I said, there's details along like, the way, like Mavis. So there's this dead robot, like I mentioned before, yeah. that's hanging out in the camp. And he's like, oh, the old Mavis model was pretty cool. At one point, he comes across a real living Mavis model, which is kind of like a future next steps for us. If the Alexa gets like some legs and a like electronic screen face that's true. Yeah. and um, becomes a default therapist. It's just really neat anyway monster designs are freaking incredible that they actually do do some practical in here which is really well incorporated with a mix of visual effects so the first monster you get i was like wait are those real legs <laughs> real giant bug leg oh my god it is and then yes okay then we have some visual effects but like really well married together so it gives it a really great feel um there's a lot it's a love letter to a lot of previous sci-fi horror works and, uh, yeah, there's just a lot of really great details. Um, Quick question. Yeah. What is the connection to radio broadcasting, though? That's a great question. <laughs> so the radio comes into play in that that is his connection to the girl that he's trying to seek. He has spent all this time on the radio. And as he travels, he's got to find kind of there's very few moments where he's able to use the radio to check back in on her or on his camp. And one of those moments is um, using perhaps the robot perhaps to radio in and check. And then when he gets to the other side, he radios back to the previous place and, you know, kind of has one of those moments of perfect. Yeah. Like I, I do care about the people I abandoned every <laughs> single time. I was like, how many times are you going to make this journey? Like how many times are you going to be like, Oh man, but those people are really what was useful. Um, but yes, it ha radio definitely plays a pretty strong role in this. Um, uh, he, for some reason, he's good at that. He's good, but only kind of good at a lot of things. But in the world <laughs> has been depopulated by like 90%. So that's like, hey, you know how to cook ramen? You're our chef. <laughs> the things I don't like about this, there's kind of multiple endings. Um, and one of those endings doesn't make much sense in context. Um, there's a lot of kind of we are going to stay in this bunker or leave this bunker for whatever reasons. And one of the bunkers really probably shouldn't leave where they are <laughs> for numerous reasons. And I'm like, why? Why? OK, whatever. Um, there's a small, weird the characters are developed really nicely. And at one point, they kind of blow the book they're like okay we've got this really satisfying moment everything's cool the characters are that have grown and become who they are and then they just like kind of regress for a second and i'm not sure i dug that yeah there's there's a few turns there's a few emotional turns that don't make a lot of sense um they, there's a young girl that he encounters with the old guy mary poppins dude uh, and the young girl starts off being like oh you're dumb you don't know what you're doing you're gonna die and then she like discover decides she loves him and he's like one of her favorite people very quickly and there's a no another moment where he gets mad at the dog but like he's like you're always doing this dumb thing dog and i'm like this is the first time the dog has ever done this dumb thing <laughs> that scene made me wonder if there was a scene cut beforehand I because i was like that that stuck out to me too as in yeah. why would you Phrase it this way when we've right. never seen the dog. Especially like a movie that sets up and delivers almost perfectly every element that yeah. they have. Yes, absolutely. Like, I was like, there was just a few rushed moments. It must have been a time thing because I was just like, there, what, what is happening here? 
Um, but yeah, so ultimately would really, really recommend this film. I think it's worth the 20 bucks. I I'm happy. I now own it. I can watch it multiple times. Um, <laughs> if you enjoy like John Hughes style movies and you like fun romance kind of films, uh, that are just funny and upbeat as well as end of the world pieces. This is for you. This is for me. This is a film made for me. That I'm is so sure. happy to hear that. Yeah, thank you for the recommendation. I never would have actually watched it otherwise. This has been a year where I've seen a couple of movies that I thought might have made people stars. Yeah. I thought oh, that yeah. this kid, this Dylan kid, might have you know blown up after this film if it had been allowed to go to theaters. I just watched yeah. a movie with Frank Grillo in it that... Oh. I was like, fuck, this movie would have been gigantic and it would have finally given that guy some of the recognition he deserves. And it's just like, oh, everybody's kind of at square one again now. I know the whole system is like so thrown out because maybe a lot of people are watching these films and thinking, oh, my God, this is an incredible star like Pedro Pascal in Mandalorian. Right. Right. Like and he has had that opportunity to be like, fuck, this guy's got star power now. But I, I think people are recognizing them, but there's no monetary way of tracking it for investors in Hollywood. And that's the problem well, that we have available to. Yeah. I'm sure there's something. That yeah. If you've got a $20 million budget or more, you can probably get the info. It's just but... hard because you don't know if like, you know, 50% of teenage girls with brown hair on Tuesdays sure. went and saw this film and thought it was great you know, <laughs> well, and bought extra popcorn. We just don't have that system anymore. There's a little bit of the, you know, you go onto IMDb pro and, uh, you know, you check your star rating. I'm sitting at a cool 568,289 <laughs> this week. Nice. Um, but you know, somebody like, Dylan O'Brien is probably sitting in the thousands now, and there's got to be some way that people are kind of looking at, this guy's getting looked up a lot for some reason, yeah. and, sure. and we're going to attach a value to that that yeah. name recognition or whatever it is. So basically, if you enjoyed a film or you enjoyed a star, A, Google them, or B, <laughs> socially post their name somewhere. Exactly, because yeah. that star meter does um, count in somehow. The it's fact got that to. you're you're posting stuff on or linking to a film to rent or whatever. Yeah, Twitter so. is really carefully monitored. Um, so I know that they actually have a monitor. Uh, they've been monitor, monitoring the words that are used to do this big experiment on like emotional states of people. Um, so oh my. Uh, yeah, so every single word that has been said or used on Twitter since like 2002 or something has been um, tracked. So people are leveraging that information now in additional ways. So absolutely tweet about it. You know, do some good. Also, um, I mean, I was a little shocked to hear those Rotten Tomatoes numbers there. So yeah, that's got to count for something in a, sure in a year where we can't look at box office. If you can look yeah. and see that the audience and the critics are kind of loving a movie, hopefully. I'd really like to see that kid, you know. I think he something. will do really well. I mean, I think he killed it in uh, Maze Runner. And um, before we move on over to you, Kelly, I actually, I have to say, there's a couple really neat things I learned, including about that that um, kid. So um, the stunts for this film were done by Glenn Super. Glenn Super started working with um, Dylan O'Brien on Maze Runner 3. The reason why he started working with Dylan was Dylan was seriously injured on Maze Runner 3, where they were shooting a scene with a kind of a chase, I believe, between a car and a train. 
and Dylan was dragged underneath the vehicle and got a concussion. He fractured his cheekbones, fractured his orbital socket, as well as having lacerations. Um, The scene is actually used in the film. They asked because it was the best shot and they asked his permission. Um, And he actually said, I actually hope you do use it because I went through so much to make that happen. (laughs) (laughs) The police do. But for the rest of that film, and I think this is probably one of those film examples where people were like, you know what, let's just do CGI for a moving train. Like maybe we don't need to actually (laughs) strap a child to um, vehicles and to throw them across things. Um, But uh, Weta actually um, finished the post for that. But I thought it was really neat that um, Dylan is bringing the stunt guy with him from project to project. Uh, The stunts also were kind of a challenge for the female lead star because she was too competent. She already knew a lot of stunts um, from all the Marvel TV shows she done. So she does a little bit of fighting near the end and they had to really scale it back and be like, no, 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 no. You got to suck a little bit. And she's like, oh, but I know how to do this. <laughs> The this debut uh, the debut weekend um, that this uh, came out on streaming it was uh, the number one rental film for Fandango now on Apple TV, so there you go it grossed a, a whopping two hundred and fifty five k in theaters that opening weekend number one movie <laughs> yeah it was up there it played in three hundred and eighty seven theaters I'm sure that a lot of people were actually able to go um, and the the dog was actually played by two dogs. One was named Hero, and the other was named Dodge. Aww. So, there you have it. By the way, uh, throwing that child under a train, he's 29. Was he, but how old was he during Maze Runner? Well, oh, in his oh, 20s, uh, I mean, Maze Runner's I guess not you're that right. old. He just yeah. looks so young. Yeah, he plays a good teenage kid. Yeah, yeah. you're right. Michael J. Fox quality about him. He but, does. A yeah, little better than uh, Olivia Newton John and John Travolta in Greece, <laughs> as far as looking like a teenager. <laughs> I will say, he reminded me a lot of, um, oh, who's that kid from the OC? Adam Brody. Adrian. Adam Brody. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, he does a little bit. Yeah, he looks like him, but he's like a more talented actor version. Adam Brody's good. He's super watchable, but he can really only play one or two things. I always love how Hollywood has their versions of people, too. So in Teen Wolf, he's kind of the nerdy friend. And I'm like... I don't remember any nerdy friend who had abs like that and right? was super yeah. handsome. That's weird. Totally. Totally. <laughs> I'm going to have to check that out, actually, after this. I did notice that he had two different names. Now, you'll have to tell me. He has two different names in Teen Wolf. Does that mean that he has a wolf name and a human name? Oh, I don't know. Um, I watched the first two seasons, which I liked very much, and then it kind of fell apart. Oh, okay. That show was created, and a lot of the episodes were directed by Russell Mulcahy, who created and directed Highlander. And- oh. Oh, Razorback shit. and any Duran Duran video you've ever seen. Well, sure. I've seen at least one. So. <laughs> all right. It's my turn. Everybody yeah. shut up. All right. All right. Ah! <laughs> um, I picked a movie that doesn't have a gigantic radio personality presence in it, but you'll know why when I get to him. And it is called Captive State. Baby brother. You gotta pick a side. Hello, Gabriel. I want a lawyer. You and I both know those days are gone. You have a 
choice to make. Work for me. Or wind up like your father. We don't have much time. Before first contact, we were fighting amongst ourselves. We needed the legislators to show us a better way. They're protecting us from anarchy. Tell our friends down below they got our full operational support. Harmony, peace. It's a lie. They're going to take everything. What do you want me to do? As long as we fight back. We got a chance. We're facing a full-blown insurgency known as Phoenix. The networks communicate. They're planning something big. The team goes tonight. You ready? No one gets taken alive. Hello, Gabriel. You have a job to do. I've got a plan. So it's from 2019. It had a budget of $25 million and a box office of about $9 million. Wow. The Rotten Tomatoes critic score is 44% and the audience is 37%. And I have theories on this. Okay. I'm so curious. It stars John Goodman, who you might know from King Ralph. Hey. The Flintstones. (laughs) And the yellow M&M. Is he really the yellow M&M? For a couple of years he was. Oh, Jesus. Uh, it also stars Ashton Sanders, who was in Moonlight and Equalizer 2, and Jonathan Majors, who you would probably know as Atticus, the lead in Lovecraft Country. Okay. So the story starts with a very tense situation. A uh, police detective who's driving his wife and sons out of what looks to be a military coup or something like that is going on. All the streets are shut down. There's flashing cops uh, uh, at every at the end of every street and he's like driving around trying to kind of figure out what to do and every time he turns a corner and sees that he whips the wheel around and cops are starting to yell at him and everything he gets stopped at a police blockade and decides to stomp on the gas and run and they go busting through barricades with cops chasing them and everything and then they end up in this very long empty tunnel with something at the end that is scaring them very much when they see it. And you see these figures kind of start walking towards him, and his wife is like, back up, back up, back up. (laughs) And he starts trying to back up, and then they are instantly vaporized into uh, clouds of blood. And the, uh, the two sons are alive in the back seat, and we see... An alien, and it is a pretty fucking cool-looking alien. It crawls up on the hood of the car and looks at them, and these spikes kind of pop out of its back, (laughs) and you're like, holy shit, look at this. Ten years later. (laughs) (laughs) A lot has happened. 
So we're now in Chicago, 10 years after an extraterrestrial force has invaded the Earth and now occupies it. Mm -hmm. So uh, our story mostly follows the two sons that we met earlier on, but it kind of touches on the life of everyone who has been affected, not just the survivors of an occupying alien force, but the natural idea of there would now be human collaborators sure. with these aliens. Mm -hmm. And I think that's probably where the low score comes from. This is a story about humans in a world that has been occupied by aliens. And you see the aliens in, or an alien in that first scene and then an alien in a later scene. And that's it for the wow. aliens. It is all about uh, humans a resistance force that is being built up and all of this stuff mm. going on. It's very political and uh, it's got a lot of echoes of stuff that has happened recently in other countries and even in this country a little bit. Um, but I think probably if you're sold on an alien invasion movie, you want to see an alien invasion. Yeah. And that's right. not what this is. Is this a little bit of like what 10 Cloverfield Lane kind of suffer from? Where it's like you already know the universe and they're in a bunker and you're like, just uh, anything. Well, anything. see, that one I thought had a nice twist because you just never knew, you know, yeah. it, until. I didn't hear it beforehand that it was Cloverfield really? World. Yeah, no, I saw it not knowing that. So oh. it was a hell of an ending for me. I, I did know A lot know of that. people didn't like it. I did know that going into it, but they had said this is not the exact same world as the Cloverfield movie. Oh. And that none of the Cloverfield movies that they've released are yeah. connected not by a, a world. They're connected by a, if you saw that third shitty one that I Netflix did. made, a, I did. they're alternate versions of a world. Oh. that's They created that in that satellite. Oh. I didn't, I don't know how I missed this, but so, look, because that movie, one of my favorite movies. But, that third one sucked. That's how you um, missed it. You know, for sci-fi, <laughs> for bad sci-fi movies, I actually enjoyed it a fair amount. I was like, this is, could have been so much worse. It was completely acceptable. Ah, another Thanks great, <laughs> another great blurb. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, like I said, it's very political and uh, you're dealing with a lot of human drama of these people who are feeling oppressed by other humans. And uh, there's there's one scene of a bunch of human prisoners, who I guess are dissidents or something we're never really told. And they're kind they're chained and they're walking towards a gigantic, weird looking spacecraft and they're being loaded onto this extraterrestrial ship for off world imprisonment, which, you know, whatever that means. And I'm like, well, what's the other world and why does this make sense? But that's never really explained. <laughs> and Goodman is a police chief that works under the aliens now. And he was the ex partner of the two sons dad. So the guy that got vaporized was him. So he's kind of taking care of them. But one of the sons has become a resistance um, legend. He's dead now. And the younger son is, is kind of sneaking through stuff and everything. Well, he finds out that his brother is still alive and they are trying to do stuff. The older brother is trying to keep him out of what's going on. And we're just trying to keep up with what is going on because they're putting together a resistance that's going to uh, cause some big event, probably a bombing that's going to kill some of the alien leaders when they all get together for this thing. That just goes all awry and we start seeing these um, these alliances that we saw in the beginning suddenly crumbling as we realize, oh fuck, they were working for the aliens the entire time or, or shit like that. So I really liked it, probably because it was so different than what I thought it was going to be. 
But I also can understand that if what you're looking for is that alien movie, you're going to be <laughs> disappointed in this. Um, so I will tell you that uh, in one very small scene, there is a re- radio DJ and he sends out uh, coded songs and that's how the resistance knows what they're supposed to be doing. So there's actually some cool music in this because they're using real songs, but they're using songs from like, uh, old, old country, Western guys and stuff like that. But, but you hear the song and the message is like, that one's a little on the nose there. I would would have been scared to use that. And this didn't seem like it was a big enough reason to pick, to pick this for this genre except I did a little research on the guy playing the DJ, and I thought he was pretty interesting. Ah, hmm. So nice. I'm going to talk about him. Ooh. His name is Kelly Cole, and he's got 18 credits, mostly early 2000s television, like uh, Law & Order and stuff like that. And he's a really cool-looking guy, so he probably played a drug dealer or you know something like that. Uh, but beyond that, his bio gets super interesting. So I'm just going to read a little bit of his bio. Uh, Kelly Cole, a seminal figure on New York's late 80s, 90s art and club scene. Cole was integral in creating many of Manhattan's most memorable night spots and events, most notably as co-creator, operator of the now legendary Spy Lounge and rock and roll bistro Black and White. As a DJ, Cole has played extensively at premier events in the U.S. and abroad and has held residences at top clubs including the Highlight Room, the Bungalow, Trousdale, Hemingway's, Hyde, and Teddy's in L.A., as well as many clubs in New York. His clientele has included the Rolling Stones, U2, Madonna, Tina Fey, Heidi Klum, Charlize Theron, and corporate clients including Hermes, Apple, Gucci, GM, and Cartier. I love this line. He has crafted the musical landscape for over 150 weddings, including Johnny Depp's, Kate Beckinsale's, and Avril Lavigne's. That's so good! The Kelly Cole clothing brand has quickly grown a loyal and regular following of entertainment personalities, including Adam Levine, Bradley Cooper, Chelsea Handler, Ellen DeGeneres, Christina Aguilera, Travis Scott, Rooney Mara, Travis Barker, and Charlie Hunnam, among others. He has his own clothing line? The flagship Kelly Cole retail store was located at 175 South La Brea in Los Angeles and featured the Kelly Cole line of denim, t-shirts, and accessories, as well as a select inventory of hand-picked vintage items and curiosities. What? (laughs) Who is this guy? Uh, Right? Cole's (laughs) early 2000s improvisational retail space slash gallery and lifestyle brand, Lo-Fi, was a favorite among the young Hollywood elite, including Ben Harper, Johnny Knoxville, Aaron Paul, and Winona Ryder. The lo-fi line was carried by premier retailers globally from 2002 to 2010. The lo-fi gallery hosted full-scale exhibitions of the work of Mick Rock, Michael Muller, and Jeff Vespa. And I thought, how weird that this guy is in literally eight seconds of this movie. He had to know somebody. Um, Oh, yeah. I don't know if I got into who the creators of this were. I I got right to the stars. Um, This was directed by Rupert Wyatt, who directed Rise of the Planet of the Apes and several episodes of The Exorcist TV show, which he was also an executive producer of. And it was written by him and Erica Bini, which uh, filmmakers will know from The Battle of Shaker Heights. That's the Uh, only other thing she wrote. I thought it was weird (laughs) that they connected somehow. You know, I don't know what her relationship to Rupert is, but there must be some relationship between them and Kelly Cole. Otherwise, why do you 
get this guy who's doing all of this stuff to be your DJ. And he does, he shows up as a DJ and you're like, who's this cool looking dude? <laughs> That's not like any DJ I've ever seen. <laughs> anyway, the movie I thought was good. A lot of people did not think that. What was the title again? Captive State. And it is a rental. I am definitely going to check this out because my impression was, I thought it was going to be like a battleship situation where like, oh, this looks kind of cool. Oh, no. Everyone says it's really bad. And I just imagined it was going to be just because it was a terrible, terrible action film with a really bad plot. It's not much of an action film. It's yeah. a political film. Which is so even there's more interesting. A couple to me. of car chases sure. and stuff like that, but that's it. And then at the end there's a couple of uh a couple of continuing twists that I was like, Oh, oh, okay. Nice. I, I finished it, the credits rolled, and I was like, That was very satisfying. Oh cool. well, I'm definitely gonna check that out. I'll get it for free from the library. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I would hate to give money to any of these creators. <laughs> They're fine. They're fine. All right. Well, that's the uh, that's the show. I think that Vanessa, yeah. the next pick is yours. That's right. Um, so I think, you know, we're in the holiday season. We just had Thanksgiving. We're spinning up towards uh, Christmas here. And one of the staples of uh, this time of the year is food. <laughs> so I think I think I want to go with funky food. Funky food. Okay, okay. I like this idea. <laughs> yes. So a scene with food? Uh, um, or... Food needs to really play a pretty big part in okay. it. Either um, this plot pivots around food or there's a very big food scene. Like I know we talked about in the house three or four or whatever with that pizza. That's right. Like, that, you know, something where it's like really stand out. Oh, man. Cool. Company of Wolves has a great uh, oh. food scene. <laughs> oh, Lord. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, that sounds cool to me. Uh, we will be doing that next week. In the meantime, thanks to everybody. Big thanks again to Danny Williford for being such a fucking sweetheart. Mm -hmm. But thanks yeah, to everybody else who's always out there supporting us. Can't thank you enough. Uh, there's really no other reason to do the show if you guys aren't behind it. So that's why we're doing it. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. All right, we'll be back one week from now. We're talking funky food. Yeah. Our show is recorded somewhere high above Naval Station Everett at the nexus of all realities and is engineered and produced by Eric Margaret. Our theme music is Strange Eons Part 1 by the band Nightshade and is used with permission. Find Strange Eons Radio on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram and wherever fine podcasts are found.